Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to the third installment in this series. It's issue 42, Writing and Producing the Future, Part 3. If you've been following the program the last couple of weeks in a row, then you know that we are deep in the middle of a conversation with the creators of my favorite program from when I was a child, Max Headroom. And they're spilling the beans on some behind-the-scenes stories and other things that made producing that program a lot of fun for them. Let's check in with the conclusion of this conversation. But, you know, it, but the, the whole point about, about you know, th- this article, when they interviewed me for this article, I turned to them and it says so in here. I said, form does not follow function here. <laughs> That's catchy. Yeah, oh, I like yeah. that. It was really, really key. You've got you to watch out where the stuff's coming from out of the writers. And then you've got to kind of go, holy sh**. That's what they want to do. Okay. Sleep is overrated. I mean, there was a, uh, there was a wonderful, wonderful sequence. I remember there was a character. I remember him talking about, about the, the key into the, the, uh, the flow where Max was, was very elegant. Mm, Bruno. And I remember yeah. the use of that word to this day. It's, it's part of the dialogue. It is dormant. Show me. Elegant. I think things are very elegant here. Yeah. This madness of of the blanks. Uh, yeah. And this this dystopian uh, communication. This 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 whole communication device through through these tubes that this is whole society was communicating with because they were not only receiving they were able to talk back just like we are right now exactly. uh, yeah another one of those it's worth pointing out by the way that that br- the head of the blanks the guy who ran the blanks was called bruno yeah. and he was named after bruno george yeah. who yeah. was a special effects genius yeah. i, I yeah. kind of yes. guessed but I, I didn't know for sure <laughs> yeah yes. speaking of contemporary tv though i do want to give a shout to the one show that at least at its best has to me been as close to Max or is Max for now. And that's Black Mirror. The anthology show mm-hmm. from uh, um, with Brooker, uh, Charlie Brooker, yeah. especially the, the one of the best pieces of television I've ever seen called, uh, the episode called San Junipero. which starts with, it's set in 1987 and the camera pans by a, a store window and there is Max Headroom in it. Mm. <laughs> kind of uh, so letting the, you know. <laughs> the, the homage was clear and it's, it's just a brilliant Max Headroom. In fact, it was the same idea that we used in the Deities episode, mm. uploading yeah. uh, people's consciousness into machines because they yeah. were either dead or, or 
uh, comatose and things like that. So there, mm. there, the stuff can be done. It's just, yeah, trying to relaunch Max is in Omaha Beach. A lot of us have all washed up on. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And it was, it wasn't then, and it would not be now. A case of thinking outside the box. It's, it's a case of not having a box to have to think outside. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and there are not too many people who can do that. You know, finding writers was close to impossible. Mike was instantaneously and obviously so abhorred the way of thinking that was required. But a lot of other people, good writers, I might say, were not. George R. R. Martin immediately got it like a flash. I could do this all day. Here, another one for you. And then, of course, (laughs) he went on to do quite a good little show of his own. Yeah, uh, yeah. he uh, seems to have worked out okay for him. <laughs> yes, everything did. And, and you know, his, again, his was a unique piece of writing that, that spoke to this strange world of Max that you had to get your head into or have it in any way or, you know, however that comes about. Right now, I'm into yoga. <laughs> so it, it would be very difficult to, to try and recreate this, I think, without that same sensitivity. And that was a transatlantic sensitivity. It was both sides coming together with, you know, a concept that needed developing. And in the midst of all this, I, I thought of myself as the most fortunate of men because I was selected as the magician, the yeah. man who pulled all the pieces together made the, pull the rabbit out of the hat as one does was that your and, nickname uh, uh making this I, I know everybody had good nicknames on on set no he was all was just known as frankish <laughs> <laughs> well that was enough you know yes <laughs> got the message across <laughs> say no more he, he didn't he didn't just pull rabbits out of hats i might say he he pulled producers and writers out of pubs mm. yes <laughs> in some cases case in desperation <laughs> in some cases out of the so yes yeah. absolutely don't worry i've got a plan but uh, there, there's this one classic uh, situation ad's and and uh and production people are always complaining about late scripts these days. Mm. But, you know, it's like when you have issued a call sheet for something you think is going to be shot the next day. <laughs> and, and you've got the drivers standing by ready to send the sides out to the performers so that they don't have to show up blind, making, you know, going, what the fuck am I saying today? Right. <laughs> and and I'm sitting in the production office and you start at four o'clock and no screen, no script. And you call the writer's office. And uh, they've got the machine on. We'll be talking to you real soon. And you leave a message that says, Hi, I'm sitting here and I've got, I've got, uh, I've got Seven actors on the call sheets, and I've got seven teamsters sitting in my office here getting ready to receive the scripts. And we're ready to make the sides and get them to go. Uh, give me a buzz back and give me an idea when I can possibly have these. Then at five o'clock, you make another call. And you say, please, it's an hour. And at six o'clock, you make another call. Hey, guys. Yo. And then seven, eight, nine, and finally you're screaming. You fold. <laughs> you you know, and it, it turns around to about nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, and the and the recording records. That's it. I've had it. I'm lighting my first joint. 
and, and I, I still it. have that microtape, believe it or not. Yeah, he played it back at the rap party, as a yeah. matter of yes. fact. Oh. Yes. We will have these moments to remember. Yes, that was right toward the end just before we were canceled we were one of the reasons cancellation in many ways was a mercy because we were just out of out of time mm. we had still an order for five or six more episodes and we had two scripts and it was just i could see disaster looming in terms yeah. of just being able to feed the production beast in a timely manner we were just i mean because there were just too many things slowing us down as well mm. we're not going to make it and uh, yeah and and it, it not not and we were being slowed down as well by, well, by yeah. events that were beyond our control too, uh, some which wasn't, some wasn't accidental. But at that particular time, the issue that Brian had was was uh, uh, had become critical only because we had not got an idea sorted properly for the next episode. Mm -hmm. And we'd gone off to try and come up with something. And we weren't very far away. I mean, the bar across the road was only a couple of hundred yards, give or take. And we were in there creating <laughs> creating a new episode, furiously writing things in longhand, going, this will work, this will work, we could, and so on. Um, completely having forgotten that Brian was in a little crisis and needed somebody to help him. Well, I managed to get along, somehow. You know, that couldn't happen today because, of course, he'd have gotten us on our cell phones immediately. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. Which is why I never carry one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way around it you speak with some wisdom i state the obvious but you know it was really you know a, a grand because we were so we were such a band of brothers mm. as a matter of fact after we shot the first six episodes and i think we went four million dollars over budget on the first six episodes whoops it was no surprise because you know i i made sure that lorimar production knew what was going on Hello, I, this is what I'm going to do. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I've got to go. I much must do this. I have to spend this. This overtime is happening now. Uh, talk to my accountants, please. You want the actual figures, but I'm estimating that added uh, approximately. Hello, it's going. The money is going, Eddie. Eddie, you want us to stop? Tell it. Tell me. Tell me. You know, and it's not like we were hiding anything. And, and the communication was very good with Eddie Denault. And he was really, really good to us. Mm -hmm. He just kind of kind of let us do what we had to do. As a matter of fact, I was getting my car on the lot right there towards the end of the first episodes. You know, we had completed the first six. And I and Leslie Moonves walked by. Leslie Moonves has worked behind the scenes in entertainment for a number of years, working at CBS and Warner Brothers. Before working at Lorimar, Leslie was an actor on shows like Barbary Coast, Gemini Man and The Six Million Dollar Man. In the industry, Leslie is known as the person responsible for getting both Friends and ER on the air. With the time, as was head of Lorimar at the time. And I said, well, Leslie, we seem to be doing well on Max because the, the numbers were coming in. Mm -hmm. And he turned to me and he said, yes, but I'm very disappointed in Eddie Denault. I turned around and walked away from me. Win some, you lose some. I mean, the, the, imagine the, the furniture that was being thrown at each other, you know. Yeah. Because four million bucks, four million bucks is a lot of money. Right. Especially 1987. Announcer Mitch here. According to inflationtool.com, four million dollars in 1987 money is the equivalent of nine million four hundred and thirty-six thousand four hundred and seventeen dollars and seventy cents in 2021 dollars. When we came back on, uh, they sent 
uh, a young uh, gentleman who was um, a son of an owner uh, to be a supervising producer to help us uh, do what apparently we had failed to do the, uh, the previous season. Got it. There are a few rules we need to follow. And uh, he wasn't successful. <laughs> No reason for that. <laughs> He's not, we, not using me. He had a real uh, hard time in the writer's end of things, I can tell you. Mm. Yes, he was a nice little man, but a bit out of his depth. Can someone tell me what's going on here? No. But I remember that uh, we were we were we were making up all kinds of things. Uh, uh, we we kept using shooting the, the video on from Edison Carter's uh, camera on a on a standard. Uh, ENG video camera. Like you do. And the guys would look at the stuff that they were shooting on this and Wag would go, no, it's too good. It's too good. <laughs> Tear it apart. You know, make it, put lines in it, you know, make it uh, you know, degraded, degraded. This is all wrong. And so finally I said, I, I, this is costing me too much, uh, too much visual effects time. And so I, I had one of these little VHS cameras, mm. you know, a JVC. Right. You know, for kids. That kind of looked a, like a miniature Edison Carter camera. And I said, here, guys, go shoot this one. <laughs> and they took my little camera out and they shot this little VHSC camera, came back and, and Wag said, oh, yeah, you know, that's 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 the ticket. And the rest is history. And I, I remember, I, so now I found myself taking my little VHF camera with me to all, to all the set and, and they started using it. So I, I had all these VHS tapes. That's quite a collection. And uh, I remember we were on the roof of oh some great building in south, uh, just a little south of downtown LA, shooting uh, the uh, the zigzag helicopter, which was a big yeah. black uh, uh, dauphin, alouette dauphin. Mm. They probably wouldn't understand my French anyway. The zigzag people getting on and off the thing, and I got this phone call from Wag, saying we've been canceled. And uh, at the time, Edison Carter was in, was in the set over there shooting with his camera as a prop. And then he came out and they, they went in with my, my, my camera shooting it. And, and I was on the phone uh, and I, I had one of these, these big, you know, early cell phones. Right. Phone's ringing, dude. And uh, we've been canceled. And as just as I was getting that call, this camera swung around we shooting me leaning up against the wall back there, getting the, we've been canceled. Wow. And I said, I was going, Wag, what does that mean? He said, we're not shooting tomorrow. We're not just canceled. Yes, we're, 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 mm. we're killed. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Mid episode. I can tell you it was two days into an episode I was, I had written about uh, Edison's family called families. Uh, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it was a it was a Tuesday in October. Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they pulled the plug on us and basically it's like if they could have sent a team to terminate us all, I think they might have. Come with me if you want to live. Yes, it wasn't popular. You can just show yourself out, can't you? Well, uh, I remember what I did at that point was, you know, I turned to the ADs. I think Craig West was the first. Starting in 1982, Craig West has had an incredible run in Hollywood, working on the A-Team, Dark Angel, The X-Files, Lost and Bones, among many other things. While on Max Headroom, Craig was the first assistant director. And I called him over and I said, okay, gather everybody around, you know, 
So just bring them up, up, up to the set, would you please, uh, when you wrap the shot. And it was, a, I think it was, you know, very close. I think it was the last shot of the year. I said, just bring everybody up. And they all gathered around and said, makeup, hair, wardrobe, everybody. You know, teamsters, I don't give a damn. And I said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just got a call from the studio and from Mr. Wag. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, we're canceled. And, 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 and unfortunately, we're not working tomorrow. And I said, <clears throat> But everybody, I, I want you to know that uh, uh, the, uh, I think it's the Players Club was on the 11th floor next door uh, of the building next door. And I said, there's a very fine bar up there. It's, it's a real old fashioned, very famous, famous bar. And uh, uh, my credit card will be sitting on the bar. Please join me for a drink. As soon as you wrap, wrap your trucks, pack them up, send them off. But... Uh, Come and join me for a drink. And we uh, we had a, a really fine, wonderful after, uh, late afternoon and evening at the Players Club in downtown Los Angeles mm. saying mm. goodbye. Mm. And you yeah. just recently paid off that credit card bill. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's the first time in my life I've ever seen grips and tears. Mm. Wow. Yeah, they were. Everybody loved that show. Everyone loved working on it. People used to say, you know, I just love coming to work to do this. This is the stuff. This is why we came into this business. And it was very, it was a, a very um, a proud thing to have done to actually get case-hardened human beings caring about what they're doing in a business which is not renowned for that very often, especially, you know, on the ground when you're having just to turn around and get stuff done and to hell with the consequences. So it worked at very many levels for everybody who's involved. And I can tell you it brings a lump to my ratings. Well, we had, had this, this wonderful group that were, that were the editors that were preparing all the playback stuck stuff that the, were the pre-editors. And uh, they had uh, a, 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 a set of editing rooms up on the uh, north, yeah, north wall of, of MGM. And uh, they had a little platform out there where they set up a little, some tables and chairs and they had these umbrellas made for the chairs that said Shay Max. <laughs> and, and, you know, there was this spirit that kind of went on. That was Brian Roberts, I think. Who was it was Brian. Who was in charge of that unit. He's gone on to do really magnificent things. Brian K. Roberts is credited as part of the series film editing team at the time, but has made a name for themselves as a director, producer, and much more in the years since. Having started their career in 1981, they've worked on countless TV and film projects, including The Simpsons, The Drew Carey Show, and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the late 90s one. Brian's earliest credit involved working on Entertainment Tonight. And, and uh, we, were, we were shooting three per pull down, so no negative was ever made uh, from the 35 that we did. It was all transferred directly to, um, uh, to a digital form, and we were uh, editing on the Ediflex, which was a VHS format mm -hmm. uh, of, of cassettes that they would, would go in and that's how they would edit it was it was really archaic <laughs> yeah. in the in the growth of of our industry science and technology i mean we were we were fighting technology like mad because it was still yeah, it, it was it was still steam powered right. the, the digital engines that were still steam powered and it was very very difficult at times for anybody to deliver with any efficiency or with any quality mm -hmm. and boy they worked 
they worked so hard at it. And taking all of that material into the post group to to color correct and design and, and put it together and time mix do the color finishing and the sound finishing um, on this this archaic master stuff that was coming in. I mean, I I think I still have my old one inch masters. Mm, uh, wow! Oh. And now you're even older. I mean, it, yeah, and, and and this is part of the history because when this was done in the UK, as I recall. Uh, a deeply frustrated editor having a lot of trouble with it uh, was working on two inch vacuum um, machines. I mean, I don't mean cleaning the floor, for time, right. but, but yeah, and, and you had to keep the vacuum up. So, <laughs> I mean, it was preposterous. Steam had got nothing on it, you know. It was absurd. Big men putting screwdrivers into things, turning them, and adjusting them. The magic trick here of like, because I'm watching this at home and I'm thinking like, wow, this is like computer technology. They're showing me digital things on a screen. And it, and it worked so well as a magic trick for me uh, that like mm. even watching it now, I'm like pretty impressed with the visuals on screen. Like it, it holds up pretty well for a yeah. 30 plus year old show. <laughs> I wish the same could be said for the rest of us. <laughs> I would just say it was a, uh, it was a, pleasure to be involved. Um, something I'm more proud of than anything I've ever done in television. And uh, always happy to look back on it and think of it and I'm pleased to know that it's still out there finding new fans. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to you two for, for, for your interest and, uh, and so on too. Mm. It's, it's fascinating that something this long ago should still find an audience amongst the bright young things. Mm. Thank you. Sorry. I'm getting choked up. Well, it certainly has. I don't know if I shared this, but I recently heard a friend's radio program, and he had some guy from a punk band in California on. And the punk fella said the only show he likes is Max Headroom. Everything else, <laughs> he does not care about TV. Max Headroom. <laughs> He's a blank. Exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, the, the blank life lives on. Punks in the world, you not wall up. Give it a bit of the welly. The show, the show was was absolutely grand and, and a magnificent experience. It was a, it was a crusade and a challenge, and it was one of those shows where I, I actually, uh, I got up at like uh, five o'clock in the morning and and, uh, but I after I had gotten in bed at one o'clock in the morning every day, <laughs> and and that's what that show was about, mm -hmm. and I, all the rest of them, all the rest, everybody else on the show did the same thing. Yeah, right. We were literally sleeping four hours a night, seven days a week, mm -hmm. just to pull it off. Some of us didn't get that four hours, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to be at the pub at some point. You just heard part three of our conversation with Brian Frankish, Steve Roberts, and Michael Cassett, three of the creative team members who produced Max Headroom in the late 80s why not visit the show notes on this particular episode between radiozine.com and you'll find a link to a video of this conversation that you can watch and enjoy. Thank you. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in between a radio zine, writing and producing the future, part Issue 42 contained Writing and Producing the Future, Part 3. 
written by Heather Zykowski and Austin Rich, and featuring a conversation with Brian Frankish, Steve Roberts, and Michael Cassett. Life. Don't talk to me about life. Marvin the Paranoid Android, as written by Douglas Adams in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There are a few Hitchhiker's references in Max Hedrick, so it only seems fake. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story, music, or poetry that you'd like to send in or read, or you just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com? That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. Without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you somewhere.